Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. So over the weekend, I'm reading these stories about China announcing a record monthly trade surplus in January. Surplus. $60 billion surplus in one month. This is the best trade performance ever for China. Right. Huge surplus, meaning 60 billion more of exports over imports. It's like a record profit. Right. A corporation are reporting a record quarterly profit. Right. Because a surplus is like a profit and a deficit is like a loss. Right. So you want to generate a surplus maybe, you know, for a college, right, for high school or for grades. A surplus is an A and the deficit is an F, or, you know, the higher the surplus, the higher the grade, uh, the bigger the deficit, the lower the grade. I mean, that is in a real world. But, you know, every day, you know, my life, you know, reminds me more and more of a Twilight Zone episode. You know, like I might as well have a name like a Millicent Barn, and my whole life should be in black and white. There should be a little Rod Serling should be in the corner there. You know, welcome to the Twilight Zone, because that's where I live in a twilight zone where nothing makes sense, right? And so I'm reading all these articles about the China China trade surplus, and I can't find a single article that reports it as is a good thing. Here is a typical example. I got a Reuters headline in front of me. China's imports slump capping dismal January trade performance. Dismal, a record surplus is considered dismal trade performance. Now, remember, last week, America had its biggest monthly jump in its trade deficit in history, right, in January. So the biggest monthly increase ever, nobody described that as dismal. In fact, most of the articles I read said it was a sign of the strength of the American consumer. 
the fact that we were able to run up such a big deficit, right? It shows how strong our consumers are uh, because they're all out there spending. Now, there were some articles that, you know, that mentioned that, well, this is going to take away from our GDP. And usually they blamed it on the strong dollar. But it's interesting because they're also blaming uh, China's surplus on the strong yuan. So let me get this straight. America has a big trade deficit because the strong dollar makes imports more attractive. So we import more. Yet the same thing happens in China because the yuan is pegged to the dollar. And so China has a strong yuan, but it has the opposite effect in China. The strong yuan means that uh, China's surplus grows. Well, how can that be? How can the same thing have the opposite effects in two countries? Well, again, because it's the twilight zone. See, that's why the normal rules of physics and economics don't apply in the twilight zone. So a strong dollar can cause America's trade deficit to go up, but a strong yuan can cause China's trade surplus to go up. See, the, the strong yuan has the opposite uh, effect in China as the strong dollar has in the United States. But somehow uh, it's more of a problem for China because, you know, the surplus is a bad thing. But again, in this Twilight Zone world where, you know, inflation is good and falling prices are bad, right? In the, in the Twilight Zone world, uh, we want higher prices. And if prices go down, well, that's a disaster, right? Well, this is the same thing in, in that world where a trade surplus is bad and a trade deficit is good. Now, the article here, this Reuters article, points out that Chinese imports are down 19.9%, right? This January versus last January. And this is supposed to be a bad thing. Well, the main reason that imports are down is because the price of the things that the Chinese buy have gone down. You know, Chinese import a lot of oil. Well, oil is half price. You know, from January 2015 to January 2014, oil prices have halved. Well, obviously, unless they're using twice as much oil, right, unless they're going to import twice the amount, their import bill for oil is going to go down, right? And a lot of other, you know, iron ore, a lot of other commodity prices that the Chinese buy have gone down in price so they can spend less money. That's why it, they have a bigger surplus. Now, their um, their exports also went down slightly, but only 3%. And of course, the Chinese yuan gained a lot of value last year against all these other currencies. So in terms of foreign currencies, um, then their exports actually went up. But their own currency was so strong that in their currency, their exports went down slightly, but their imports collapsed. And so if they're not importing as much, they don't need to export as much to pay for it. The fact of the matter is, because of the strength of the yuan, the Chinese are able to buy more foreign products for fewer yuan. They buy more for less. That is good news. And the fact that their trade deficit soared, or the trade surplus soared to a new high, that shows you how good the Chinese economy is doing. Yet every single major newspaper reported this record trade surplus as evidence of a disaster in China. Well, I mean, what is wrong with being able to buy more imports with less money? 
What is wrong with a bigger trade surplus? Now, you know, there are other reasons, too, that the Chinese are exporting less. One reason is because their own consumers are buying more stuff, and so they don't have as much left over to export, nor do they need to export it because the cost of their imports are going down. But also another reason that the Chinese are importing less is because they're producing more themselves. And so if they produce more stuff themselves, they don't need to import as much from other countries. So the fact of the matter is, this is all the sign of a strong Chinese economy, not a weak Chinese economy. But it also highlights the weakness of the U.S. economy, because we have also enjoyed a stronger dollar. Yet despite the strength of the dollar, our trade deficit is getting bigger, not smaller. Now, they're all trying to say, well, you know, if you have a stronger currency, that makes foreign goods cheaper. And so you buy more foreign stuff. And so that hurts your trade terms, right? It makes your deficit go up. Well, why did it do that in China? Why does it have the opposite effect in China? Well, I mentioned this before. The short-term effect of a strong currency is that your deficits go down or your surplus goes up because it means that you get to buy your imports for less. So because the dollar has strengthened, America's trade deficit should actually be going down. The fact that it's going up, despite the benefit of being able to buy our imports for less money, just shows you how weak the U.S. economy actually is. That despite the fact that we have a stronger dollar, our trade deficit is skyrocketing anyway because that's how weak the U.S. economy is. The U.S. economy cannot produce enough, and so we're having to buy more and more stuff from foreigners, even though we're getting this stuff cheaper because we have to import more of it. Uh, because our economy is incapable of producing this stuff ourselves, well, then our trade deficit is is going up. But in China, where there actually is economic productivity, that's not the case. So their surplus is going up. But again, the amazing thing is not a single newspaper would report the record surplus in China as it being good news for China. It was universally accepted as a disaster. You know, so China needs to do something to reduce their surplus. They have to find a way to make imports more expensive for their citizens so that they end up having a smaller surplus. I mean, complete, complete nonsense. But what do you expect from the U.S. media? After all, this is the same type of coverage they've been given to the supposed threat of deflation. But I've got another example to show you how the media spins everything, right? And, and either... You know, they're, they're, this is spin or the reporters are just complete uh, morons. And, you know, it could be a combination of both. Right. I don't know. I don't know which I don't know which one. But here's a here's an example. This is a story. And, and there's, you know, also it's going around, too, because, you know, I was on you know, the, it's not just uh, Bloomberg. But here is a Bloomberg article that I first read, and then I and I then I listened to this uh, report that you can hear a clip from. There's a story that caught our eye this morning. Last month, the unemployment rate for college graduates fell. Get this, really caught my eye to 2.8 percent, three points lower than the overall jobless rate, which means soon we could run out of college-educated Americans to fill all the jobs that need filling. Can you believe that? I, I mean, I, I can. It's one of this, this. There's been this steady drip of news about exactly that, about just how much better college. I mean, th this, this, that is truly a stunning number, as you pointed out. But the real problem then is, how do you pay for college? Here is the title of the article: Pretty soon, the U.S. might run out of college-educated workers. 
And I'm thinking, how are we going to run out of them? We got so many of them. What, is, what does this mean? Right. And then the subtitle, it says the unemployment rate for bachelor's degree holders is at a six year low. Right. And the article points out that the unemployment rate for the overall population right now is 5.7. But for people with college degrees, right, the unemployment rate is only 2.8. And this is the lowest since September of 2008. So the conclusion of uh, Victoria Stilwell, who is the person who wrote this, her conclusion is that, you know, we're going to run out of college grads. That there's such a high demand for college grads that they're they're getting so many jobs so quickly that there's only 2.8% unemployment. And we better hurry up and make sure and put more high school kids through college. Right. And the, the moral of this is she just says, stay in cool school, kids. She's good. This is what the article says with a graph. And it says, stay in school. Right. Because this is your ticket to a good job. Because if you only get that college degree, then you won't be unemployed. But if you don't have a college degree, well, then you're going to have all this unemployment. And, you know, so the, the, the idea being that, yes, go to college because it's worth the money. It's worth the time because then you won't be unemployed. Now, I don't know whether this Victoria Stillwell is really just a complete moron, right? And I'm not ruling that out. Or um, she's just really trying to spin this thing, right? She's trying to make the U.S. economy look good, and she's grasping for straws. She wants to make Obama look good or something, but she's trying to pretend, right, that a college degree is so valuable. But she doesn't bother to look beneath the surface. Yes, anybody can accept, oh, 2.8% unemployment if you have a college degree. Well, I guess that's great. That must mean that a college degree is worthwhile and we should all go out and get them. Well, all you have to do is look beneath the surface of that number, again, which nobody really does. So why is the unemployment rate so low? Well, one of the reasons is because a lot of college grads are not actually looking for work. right? And so if they're not out there looking for work, maybe they decided to go to grad school because they couldn't get a job uh, with a bachelor's degree. So they decided to go to get their master's or their PhD. So these guys are not unemployed. Even though they couldn't find a job, they decided to go to get another degree because they couldn't get a job with their earlier degree. So they're not counted as being unemployed, but you know they basically couldn't get jobs. Then there's the college grads who are just not looking for work, period. They're not going for an advanced degree, but they're not looking for a job. There's a lot of those kids out there. Maybe they're just traveling because they can't find a job, whatever they're doing, right? Uh, They're not looking for work. And so they're statistically not unemployed, even though they don't have jobs. So there's a lot of that going on. But here is the more important thing, right? Why are so few college grads unemployed as opposed to, let's say, guys that didn't go to college, right? And the author is trying to get you to believe that the reason that these kids have jobs is because they have the degrees that somehow they showed up for the interview and it was the degree that landed them their job, right? That it's this, it's having this degree that is what's separating them from people without degrees who are unemployed at a much higher rate. Well, the degree has nothing to do with it because the problem is we have record numbers of people with college degrees who are in menial employment, They're working for minimum wage, right? We have record numbers of college grads waiting tables, tending bar, driving taxi cabs, right? They're working at Walmart. They're working in supermarkets. 
They're doing jobs that don't require the degrees that they have. That's why there's such a low rate of unemployment among college grads because they're cooking French fries. Now, if you've got a PhD in philosophy and you're you're cooking French fries, you're unemployed. Your degree hasn't gotten you anywhere. Now, and the fact of the matter is that a lot of people, in fact, I just read this article that only 44% of adult Americans even work 30 hours a week or more. So I'm, I'm willing to bet that a very large percentage of these college grads that are employed just have part-time jobs. They can't even land a full-time job at McDonald's with that college degree. All they can get is a part-time job. But the minute you get a part-time job, I mean, if you work one hour a week, you're not unemployed anymore, right? The way we keep track now, it's almost impossible to be unemployed because if you work at all, doing anything, then you're, you're not unemployed. The, the, the fact of the matter is we have so many people with college degrees, waiting tables, attending bar, and driving taxi cabs that that means we have too many people with college degrees right now. Yet the conclusion of, the, of this Bloomberg reporter is that we need more people with college degrees so that they can tend bar. And, and, and wet tables and drive taxi cabs. Now, obviously, look, the, the difference between someone with a college degree and not a college degree is not that piece of paper. Most, if you just took a random sampling of kids that graduated college from people who didn't, chances are in that random sampling, the kids who went to college are going to be smarter than the kids who didn't go. Right? They probably are more motivated. They're probably harder working. And that's why they're beating the high school dropouts to the McDonald's jobs, right? So when, 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 you're, when you graduated college and you got your degree and you show up and you got your suit and you show up at Walmart for a job as a cashier, yeah, there's a good chance that the guy in a hoodie uh, who uh, you know, dropped out of high school and he's going for the same job, yeah, you probably stand out and you probably have a better chance of landing that cashier's job. But is it because you have a college degree? No. That doesn't matter. It's just because you're harder working. You're probably better spoken. Maybe you showed up to the interview on time. I don't know. But whatever it is, you beat, you beat, you beat out, you know, lesser educated people for those menial, menial, crappy, you know, part-time jobs that college grads are able to land. But that doesn't mean that we need more college grads. Do we really need more college-educated waiters? Do we really need more college-educated cab drivers? I don't think so. I think kids should stop wasting their time and money getting a degree to drive a cab when they can do it without a degree. But, you know, this is what happens when you read articles in an American newspaper or just listen to the reports on television. You get spin, right? You get this kind of nonsense to make you think, God, God, I better go out there and get that college degree. There's all kinds of great jobs for me if I can only get a college degree. No, you got the same crappy jobs whether you get the degree or not. Now, I actually think this is going to change because I think now smarter young Americans are waking up and realizing that they're being sold a bill of goods when it comes to college. And I think in the future, smarter and smarter people are going to skip college. And just the dumber kids who can't think for themselves are going to stay on that treadmill and and go for these worthless degrees. But kids that have more on the ball that can think for themselves will realize that it's a lousy deal and they will go straight into the workforce. And so then these numbers 
will start to skew in a different direction. But for now, you still have the smarter kids going to school, and that's why they're beating out the dumber kids uh, for the McDonald's jobs or the Starbucks jobs. But for them to conclude that there's a shortage of college degrees, what that would mean is that all the college kids, all the kids with college degrees, are not working at McDonald's anymore. They're not driving taxi cabs. They're not waiting tables. When, when all that is gone, right, when all those guys with college degrees get real jobs, full-time jobs at good pay, then you can talk about the fact that we're running out of college grads. But as long as every, every waiter has a college degree, we have no chance of running out of college degrees because people can hire those waiters. The fact that people with college degrees are still waiting tables is proof that we have too many kids with college degrees. And also, I, I forgot to mention this, uh, just more evidence of a stock market peak. And I meant to mention it when it IPO'd, and I, I just forgot. And that's this company, Shake Shack. Right? Shake Shack, uh, you know, I guess they make milkshakes and hamburgers. And they IPO'd last week, and the, the stock came out and the high trade was, I think, $52 and change, and it's now trading about 40 bucks. So if you bought it the day of the IPO, you know, you're down maybe 20% already. But, you know, if you got it, you know, on the IPO because, you, you know, you were friendly with the underwriters, I think the stock doubled from the IPO price. But the smart money flipped it on day one, and the really dumb money uh, bought the shares. But the reason I even wanted to bring it up was to show you the insanity of the market with valuations, because this company, Shake Shack, when it IPO'd, uh, it was trading at about a $1.5 billion market cap, meaning that the the value of all these shares, if you added them all up, it was valuing the company at $1.5 billion. But they only had about $5 million in profits. Now, you know, why would a company that generates $5 million in profits be worth $1.5 billion, right? I mean, what would you rather have? A, an income stream of $5 million a year or $1.5 billion in cash in your hand right now? I mean, you know, any way you slice it, I'd take the billion five. You know, even if you say, well, that $5 million a year cash flow it could go up. Maybe next year it'll be 10 million. Maybe it'll go to 15 million. That's true, but you got 1.5 billion right now. You know, and and the thing is, sure, the five million dollars could go to 10 million, but it could go to zero. The company could go bankrupt. You remember the expression, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Well, I think 1.5 billion in the hand is worth five million in this bush. Because who knows what's under that? It might not even be $5 million. It's a restaurant. I mean, restaurants are very competitive. They, they, they go in and out of favor. And who knows if anybody is going to be having shakes at the Shake Shack in five years. Maybe they go bankrupt. Maybe they don't even make it. But if I have a billion and a half dollars right now, why should I take a chance on this tiny company growing into that sky-high valuation that's already been assigned to it? You know, I mean, you can just cash out right now and not take any risk because even if the company is wildly successful, it may never be worth the one and a half billion dollars that these morons are paying for it right now. It's like they're they're buying a lottery ticket, but they're assuming that it's the winning ticket. But I mean, that's a big assumption to make 
What if somebody said, hey, you know, I'll give you the, 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 the winning, the whole jackpot right now in exchange for your ticket, right? You'd say, of course, here, give me the, take the ticket, give me that jackpot. I mean, you got the jackpot right now. Who gets the jackpot at Shake Shack? The guys who are selling their shares, the ones that are cashing in right now, because whether or not Shake Shack is ever a success, the selling shareholders already won. They already won the jackpot and they're selling the lottery tickets to other people who have no idea whether or not they're going to win anything. But, you know, this is what happens at stock market peaks. You get these kind of crazy stories. But, you know, I read this one today on I didn't even know about this IPO. It's a much smaller scale, but it's probably even a funnier little story. And this is a stock called the grilled cheese truck. Right. Uh, and it's actually trucks because there are three trucks, right? It's not just one truck, but the grilled trees truck. And this IPO came out, I guess, uh, in the, within the last week or so. And it's five and a half dollars a share. It was down about 40 cents today. But I, I, I only read about it on this article on Zero Hedge. And so this company, Grilled Trees Truck, I guess it's based out in Florida. But they have a truck. They have three trucks. And I think they have one in California and they have one in Arizona. And they sell premium grilled cheese sandwiches out of these trucks. Now, I don't, I don't know, you know, how you get a premium grilled cheese sandwich. I mean, grilled cheese is a pretty, you know, blue collar kind of kind of sandwich. You know, and I like grilled cheese. I like a, a good grilled cheese. Um, my, we used to make them in this thing. My mom had this thing called a toast tight. And she used to grill cheese in this thing. And it was the bread would get really crispy. And I, you know, I mean, I like grilled cheese. Sometimes you would put ham in it. And, I, you know, you could, you could spruce them up a little bit. But I don't know. So these guys want to be the gourmet grilled cheese. They want to dominate that space. Okay, great. That's their goal. What do they got right now? They got three trucks. According to uh, what I read on Zero Hedge, they've got $1 million in assets, which I guess is their trucks, their inventory, whatever else they got. But they got $3 million in liabilities. So the company right now on paper is worth minus $2 million, right? $3 million of, of liabilities, $1 million of assets. You do the math, right? Negative, negative $2 million. Um, last year, they did about $1 million in sales, but they lost about $900 million. So, I mean, they, they, they almost lost a dollar for every dollar in sales. So even though they sold some grilled cheese sandwiches, it costs more to make them than they got in selling them. So what do you got? You got a company with a negative value that's losing money. They only got three trucks, right? Uh, yet they went public. Who the hell, how could they even go public? And according to the current stock price, the company's worth more than $100 million. Now, who's going to pay $100 million for three trucks that make grilled cheese? No, I mean, well, obviously somebody, Wall Street, this is the kind of crap that they're serving. Right? They, might as well be, they might as well be selling these shares out of the back of one of these trucks, right? But this is what's going on in the market. This is all evidence of overvaluation hysteria brought about by all the cheap money, by all the Fed. And, of course, the media, you know, puts all this spin on it. But I gave you the example with this ridiculous Bloomberg article on, you know, running out of college grads and how they, you know, they, 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 everything is black is white and good is bad. And China's trade surplus is a disaster. Uh, their economy is collapsing. Our deficit is a sign of how good our economy is. Rising price is good. Falling price is bad. I mean, this is the world, the twilight zone world that we're living in. 
And, you know, if I wasn't so sure in my own sanity, you know, I might be questioning it, you know, because in 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 the insane world, it's it's the sane person that 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 looks mad. Right. But 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 I'm convinced. And again, I've been doing this long enough and I've seen this movie over and over again. And I know how it ends. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.